the fucking first... hypochondriac fucking crazy weirdo wants me to stick my finger in his ass. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Hey, Did You Ever See That Movie? I'm your host, Des, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Lynn. Well, now, I'm no lawyer, but I do believe that's a violation of my rights. And joining us again, the podcaster with a fully packed bong, Pat. Can I borrow your towel? My car just hit a water bottle. Okay. This week, we will be discussing the 1985 comedy Fletch, directed by Michael Ritchie. Written by Gregory McDonald and Andrew Bergman. It stars Chevy Chase, Joe Don Baker, Dana Wheeler, Nicole, <laughs> Richard <laughs> Libertine. <laughs> Sounds like a fucking a law office. And Richard Libertini. As always, this podcast will contain spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie, go watch it, then come back and listen to the podcast. And now, it's time. For another installment of Disaster Peace Theater. Welcome to Disaster Peace Theater, where me and my two co-hosts will act out one scene from the movie that we are reviewing for you this evening. So please, sit back, grab some popcorn, and enjoy the show. Production, take one. Gil Stanwyck? Mm-hmm, yeah. I haven't seen you since the wedding. You look great. Oh, that's very sweet of you. You know, I have to confess something. I must have been pretty proud at your wedding. I don't have any idea who you are. <laughs> Not my wedding, your wedding. Oh, my wedding. Mm, nope, doesn't really help me. Are you a friend of Alan's? Uh, yes, we used to fly together. I'm John Cocktoasten. <laughs> Oh, John. Haha, ha, it's a beautiful name. Odd combination. Uh, so were my parents, Scottish Romanian. Excuse me, senor. Are you a member of the club? No, uh, I'm here with the Underhills. They have left for the day, senor. Uh, that's right. Uh, they'll be back. Uh, he left for his urinalysis. Would you like a drink while you wait, senor? I'll put her on the Underhills bill. Uh, yes, very good. I'll have a Bloody Mary, a steak sandwich, and a steak sandwich. Very good, sir. I'm no Chevy Chase. No, you are not. <laughs> and now it's time for Dez's four and one fun and one fake fact. Where it will be up to my two hosts to figure out which fact is total bullshit. Number one, Jeff Bridges was considered for the role of Fletch. Number two, Charles Grodin was considered for the role of Fletch. Number three, Richard Dreyfus was considered for the role of Fletch. Number four, Barry Bostwick was considered for the role of Fletch. And number five, Jeff Goldblum was considered for the role of Fletch. So Lynn, which of those five actors was not considered for the role of Fletch? They're all bullshit. None of those are true. They're all true. Not all. No. One's fake. One's fake. No, that's all bullshit. I no. only saw two names attached and none of them Can't. are on that list. Can't. One is fake. I did a deep dive. Don't we woo. Don't we woo me. Just pick Don't one. Don't do it. <laughs> you didn't even list Mick Jagger, the most interesting one that was actually considered for it. He was never truly considered. Well, that's what they were listing in the well, trivia. not true. Oh, well, so you know and they don't. Yes, I did a deep dive. Okay, sure. Captain Know-It-All. Uh, let's see. Uh, Jeff Goldblum. Okay. And Pat, which one do you think is bullshit? Number five, Goldblum. Okay, I did this so long ago, I don't know which one is fake. <laughs> Actually, if, I'm I'm looking at the list of people that were uh, considered and each not on it. Okay, if I had to guess, it would be Jeff Goldblum. So nice job, guys. All right, they both got it right. I think, but I but honestly, I think Jeff Goldblum would have been a very good Flash. Oh, especially like the older Jeff Goldblum when he yes. does the thing and he talks like almost like William Shatner. Like, yes. it's hilarious. 
Yeah, he's got a good dry sense of humor that would work as Fletch. And he's super tall and good looking. And yeah, I think it would work. Okay. Uh, with a budget of $8 million and a box office gross of $59 million, this movie was considered a huge success. Uh, let's do some opening thoughts. So, Dylan, have you ever seen Fletch all the way through before preparing for this podcast? Yeah, you've made me watch it on multiple occasions. <laughs> okay. And Pat, have you ever seen Fletch before preparing for the podcast? Yes, many, many times. Okay, and I must confess, this is one of my favorite movies of all times, and I think that I have seen it exactly 752 times, <laughs> to be exact. Okay, Dylan, will you please give us the synopsis? Erwin M. Fletch Fletcher is a newspaper reporter being offered a large sum of money to murder a millionaire dying of cancer. Not believing his story to be true, Fletch finds the man is healthy and begins an investigation into why he would ask him to murder him in the first place. That's it. All right. Bring us in to the movie. All right. Los Angeles Times reporter Erwin Fletcher Fletch, or Fletcher Fletch Fletcher, Chevy Chase. <laughs> is writing an article exposing drug trafficking on the beach where he suspects food vendor Fat Sam, played by George Wendt, of distributing heroin from his burger shack. Posing as a homeless addict during his investigation, he is approached by Alan Stanwyck, played by Tim Matheson, who mistakenly assumes Fletch is just a junkie. Offering Fletch $1,000 just to hear out his proposal, Stanwyck takes him to his luxury mansion in Beverly Hills, where he formally introduces himself as that he says that he works for Boyd Aviation as the executive vice president. Stanwyck claims to have bone cancer with only months left to live and wishes to avoid the pain and suffering. Stanwyck offers $50,000 for Fletch to come to his mansion in a few days' time, kill him, and then escape to Rio de Janeiro, staging the murder to appear as a result of a, of a burglary. Fletch is suspicious, but ostensibly agrees to the plan. Along with his colleague, Louisa Larry, played by the adorable Gina Davis, Fletch begins investigating Stanwyck instead of completing his drug trafficking expose, much to the dismay of his impatient boss, Chief Editor Frank Walker. So the does the <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Don't kill him on the You asked me to do this, and then all you can do is try to roast me through the whole thing. Okay. How about you just go. fucking knock it off? Okay. Hmm? Okay. Hmm? Okay. All right. This movie was your choice because it's your favorite movie of all times. So let's open the commentary with you, Mr. Magoo. Okay. Um <clears throat> First of all, Pat and I discuss this all the time. This music, very similar to another one of my favorite movies, Beverly Hills Cop. Pat, why is that a fact? Well, that would be because Harold Faltermeyer, the creator of Axel F's theme, uh, wrote, uh, I think, three or four different songs in this one movie. Yeah. Yeah, so very similar to uh, Beverly Hills Cop. I love the sound of this movie. It's just, it sounds great. And um, kind of, I don't know, kind of in the same vein. I mean, you know, investigation, it's fun. I love it. Uh, Fat Sam, we're going to get a little Norm from Cheers here. Boston Bar, one of my, uh, one of the bars in my hometown. Yeah. Um. God, you're so douchey. Why? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're talking like you hang out at Cheers. You're like one of my hometown bars. <laughs> <laughs> you step foot into a Cheers in your life. <laughs> well, I think I was like fucking 11 when it was on the air, so. <laughs> oh, God. All right. All right. Go to Pat. Okay, Pat. <laughs> Any thoughts on our opening scene? Is this just gonna what this whole podcast is gonna be like? Uh, I think this is gonna be too confusing. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw this movie and I saw Fat Sam. The very first thing that came to my mind, Norm. Yeah. So I have to give him that. But uh, no, this was this is one of my favorite movies. It's it's one of what I call a comfort movie. We all have them. Movie oh, yeah. you can watch over and over and over again and still get the same kind of enjoyment out of it. Um, this, if I remember right, this was um, this was the first movie Chevy Chase did after he had his problem with his drugs. 
which I completely forgot about until I started researching the movie. Hmm. Um, Interesting. And there was a lot of ad-libbing in this movie. Yeah, yeah, they did say that um, this is Chevy Chase's favorite movie of his, that he feels like he got to do the most of his like own thing here because they would do yeah. a take that was straight up the script and then they would do an ad-lib take and ended up putting a lot of the ad-lib into the movie and not using the script. Right. So the beginning of the movie, I have a couple of questions. One, why would Alan Stanwyck mix this subplot in with guys that he knows are working with the drug pushers that are involved with the chief of police, which he's about to try to screw. It doesn't make any sense. Like, why not pick a different junkie off the fucking beach that he doesn't know is directly hanging around with Fat Sam and Gummy, who are pushing drugs for the police chief, who he is bringing Fletch into to screw the police chief. There's just way too much risk here for this plot to get back to the police chief. So I thought that was kind of a, I don't know. It didn't really work in the plot. I mean, of course, Alan Stanwyck has to meet Fletch and start, you know, bringing him into the story. I get it. But as I was watching it for the podcast, I'm like, a guy like Alan Stanwyck, which says, I'm not a man who leaves a lot to chance. There's no way this is the guy he's going to pick for the job. I mean, do you agree? Um, another, I would agree with that. And, and never mind the fact, think about this. Think about you. Put yourself in Fletch's place. Somebody walks up to you and asks you to murder him for $50,000. What person in their right mind says, oh, yeah, I'll do that? Well. He's I mean, never considers it for a second. He's a newspaper reporter. Right, but, but, smells, the point, but the point he, I'm trying to make is, is Alan Stanwyck's supposed to be someone who doesn't take risk. And meanwhile, he's offering somebody something that no one in their right mind would accept and could but, easily turn around and go to the cops. No, because he assumes that Fletch is a drifter junkie who has no moral compass and would be more than happy to do something like that for $50,000 because he probably doesn't have five bucks in his pocket. So I understand why he's comfortable off making the offer to Fletch. I just don't know why he wouldn't pick a different vagrant from the beach that isn't directly uh, involved with his business partners. It doesn't yeah. make sense. The only thing sense. I can say for sure is the reason why he picked Fletch to begin with was because he was a similar body shape, a similar size, a similar right. height. Obviously. So he, I mean, might, he might have been struggling to find somebody that would fit his bill. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, it's fine. It's fucking Fletch. You know, I don't need it to make perfect <laughs> sense. I'm just saying it was something I noticed. Uh, we get some great lines here, you know. Um, it's nothing of the sexual, uh, Nature, I assure you, and Fletch, I assure you. And, you know, he introduces himself as Ted Nugent. And then, you know, Alan says, Alan, and he goes, Ellen, charmed. I mean, these are great improv lines. They get to the house, they get to the mansion. You know, oh, this must have cost hundreds, you know, and <laughs> I, I almost just, bought this place. I almost bought this place. Um, oh, you, re you, you, uh, you redesigned the garage. I mean, it's. <laughs> It's Hopalong all Cassidy stuff. killed himself here. Yeah, yeah. Bow and it's arrow. All, Tragic. It's all great. <laughs> it's all great. Um, There's then, just you know, so many of them. It's hard to keep track of them all. Yeah. Oh, it's just endless. It's endless improv. It's great. Uh, we get to the movie. You know, we get, we get to the uh, newspaper building. We meet his boss. He's fucking great. Uh, you know, we're going to get tons of Lakers um, references in this and the next Fletch movie because, you know, uh, Chevy Chase, huge Lakers fan. And yeah, thought it was a uh, thought it was a good intro. Excellent. Let's move on. The next day, Fletch endures a rectal exam from Stanwick's doctor, Doctor Dolan, in a failed attempt to talk Dolan into divulging medical information about Stanwick. Later that same day, disguised as a doctor, Fletch, Fletch accesses Stanwick's file in the hospital's record room and learns Stanwick lied to him about having cancer. Fletch visits Stanwyck's wife, Gail, played by Dana Wheeler-Nicholson, who we just saw as Maddie Earp in Tombstone, mm. at her tennis club and pretending to be a friend of her husband's flirts with her during an impromptu tennis lesson, but does not uncover very much from her. 
Next, Fletch poses as an FCC agent while he visits Gail's father, Stanton Boyd, the head of Boyd Aviation, to inquire about Stanwick's finances. Fletch finds that Gail recently converted $3 million of her personal stock in Boyd Aviation into cash for her husband to buy a ranch in Provo, Utah. So to me, Des, one of the most clever things that the writers did with this character is the way they have Fletch give non-answers to questions in a way that the person asking might think he just misunderstood them or that they might be the one making the mistake. It's very clever. Yeah, the doctor is too smart for this, though. Um, And we get some really great dialogue through all of these scenes that you've just um, just described. You know, we're going to get Dr. Rosenrosen, Dr. Ronis, Rosen Penis. Um, <laughs> we're going to get, you know, uh, I'm not Babar. really prepared. Uh, I'm not, yeah, Babar, that's uh, <laughs> two bees. Yeah, I thought you meant right next to each other. You don't have any children? No, elephant books. I mean, it's just endless great stuff. Um, you know, when he goes into the corner and, you know, oh, I'm not prepared. I haven't washed my hands. You're not going to make <laughs> this guy any sicker. You know, um, yeah, get me a glass of hot fat and the uh, head of Jerry Garcia. Oh, just get me a copy of Alfredo. Just get me a copy of the Beatles White Album. <laughs> I mean, fucking just endless great stuff here. Endless great stuff here. Where am I? You're in the records room. Oh, oh, then I'm fine. Records room. Oh, then I'm fine. Oh, it, 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 hyperventilating. So good, Pat. What you think? Um. I thought just just what he had to go through for the medical exam was friggin' hysterical. He's trying to he's trying to con his way into the information and he has no choice but to submit to this physical exam. And he tries just seeing him try to talk the doctor out of the prostate exam. And I thought it was the funny one of the funniest parts of the scene is the doctor's a big guy. He completely disappears behind Fletch before Fletch cries out, Moon River. River. Never saw time off. I know. I mean, this is, honestly, this is, this actor is a big guy. He completely disappears. You don't see an ounce of him. I thought that was pretty clever to do it that way. And then these iconic lines. Ever saw time Doc? (laughs) Yeah, you're uh, using the whole fist. <laughs> and he well, was he was so clever. He was just so nonchalant. Uh, uh, you using the whole fist, Doc? I don't find anything wrong with you. Sure, it's not from a lack of looking. <laughs> so, uh, funny story. Uh, at work the other day, Pat and myself were working with our boss, and he revealed that he had to get his first prostate exam. He was getting a physical, and the doctor said, it's that time. And our boss was like, nope, not doing it. And we don't have to do that. And the doctor was like, oh, we're doing it. And, and the boss is like, we're not doing it. And the, and the doctor got mad, was like, drop your pants and bend over. Like he yelled at him. <laughs> <laughs> and he was forced to do it. So um, fun fact, uh, I have never had a prospect exam by a doctor, but oh, I no. did make Delin give me a prostate exam once. My wife, she has very small fingers. <laughs> You should see the look on her face right now. Uh, and I'm just shaking my head thinking, why the fuck is he saying this? Oh, I tell everybody oh. about that. I'm sure you do. You must have mm. taken a lot of pride in that. You're a fucking broken individual. I'm not sure she even knew what she was looking for, to be honest with you. Probably not. I'm, I'm not I'm, a doctor. I'm thinking the first thing in her mind was, when is this over? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, this fucking the first... hypochondriac, fucking crazy weirdo wants me to stick my finger in his ass. <laughs> <laughs> that is so much funnier than the way he says it. Holy shit! Okay, so there you go. Moving on, <laughs> shall we move on? Holy Please? Jesus! Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Where are we? Fletch returns to his apartment for the day and finds that his ex-wife's lawyer, who's now her husband, Marvin Gillette, is waiting no. for him to what? That's not her husband. Oh, no? Are you sure? No. Yeah. All right. Lawyer. That's, that's what the write-up says. Wife's lawyer. They're waiting for him to collect unpaid alimony. Blitch gives Gillette the, um, is it Gillette or Gillette? Whatever. I don't Gillette. Care. Uh, the $1,000 cash bribe money that Stanwick gave him earlier to make him leave. After having a cold beer, Flitch goes to sleep and has a dream of being a major league basketball player playing for the Lakers and scoring a hoop. The next day, while undercover at the beach, he discovers one of Fat Sam's customers, Gummy, running away from a patrolling squad car. 
Fletch tries to intervene when the cops catch Gummy and beat him up, but Fletch gets kicked in the groin by one of the cops, and they haul Gummy away in the car. Fletch retaliates by throwing a rock through the car's back windshield, but the car keeps going. Pat, so I think that my favorite part of the whole movie might be the Lakers dream. It's so stupid, it's hilarious. Oh my god. That's just everything the way they describe him. Um, you get, you know you're doing well when you get a big name like Chick Hearn and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to do a bit in the movie. And I, I said this to Des the other day when we were working. It's great as he starts to fall asleep and he's listening to the commentary and his eyes close and his eyes close. And then all of a sudden you hear, and what about Fletch? And then the eyebrow goes up and the one eye cracks open. I was in tears. This gritty kid from Brooklyn. He is six four, six five, uh, six foot nine with the afro, and the afro is the funniest thing you have ever seen. Six point nine million a year, it's true, but he earns every penny of it. Dude, so, did you guys notice the picture of the dog behind his bed? I told you to take a yes. look at it, Pat. You told me about that, and I didn't. Oh my god, it's fucking awesome! It's this little rat dog, and it's like all frizzled out and just insane. I he has love some this. very interesting art up on his walls. Yeah, I am. I have to search for it. I've it's got really the movie good. Like I usually do, playing before me. So it's and really good. I, I have to see this dog you're talking about. It's an it's an awesome picture. I would hang the picture up. Uh, so I love when Fletch pulls up in front of his apartment, and you know we're getting the monologue that he's giving through the entire movie. And uh, as I as I approached my imitation palatial apartment, it's so good. And he, I, I witnessed the car of my ex-wife's fucking lawyer. So I think what it was was that she was cheating on Fletch with the lawyer while they were going through the divorce uh, proceedings because, you know, he says she had a bum lawyer. I think she might have been sleeping with him. And he says, I think you might be right. Really? That's ancient news, Fletch. You know, so I think that, you know, there was a... um an affair there. And then in Fletch 2, I think they do end up getting married because if you'll remember, he signs over the deed to the Belle Isle um, estate that he had um, to uh, cancel out the rest of the payments he'd owe his wife for alimony. So I believe that's how it all plays out. Um, when he comes in, and, you know, we're going to get tons of classic Chevy Chase here. He knocks the orange juice into the briefcase. Um, when he comes up to Gillette and he hits his head, he draws the foul. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. I, I just, I just got to that scene with a picture of that dog and it's like, holy Christ. So what was, good. What was that picture taken at? Like the ugliest dog contest, uh, so showcase. My so God, good. that thing is hideous. I love when the, uh, in the, uh, dream sequence too, where they show Fletch taking the bite out of the guy's arm. So good. Oh, that's. <laughs> they so, go into slow motion as everybody and their cousin are draping their arms, and he just reaches over, takes a great. big bite, and they stop right as he's about to bite into the arm. Yeah, too so funny. good. Dylan, what do you think? Yeah, like I said, the best part of the whole scene to me is the Lakers dream. It's it's the stupid afro is ridiculous. The bite, <laughs> the hands, the slow-mo, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar pumping his tires. I mean, hilarious. So good. It's the, so good. it's the best part of the whole movie to me because it just I, every, I I might forget the rest of the movie, but I remember the steak sandwich and the steak sandwich, and I remember the Lakes Laker the Laker dream. dream. Yeah. Laker so dream much. is very easy to remember. There's so much, and uh, yeah, it's just it's all so good. So let's yeah. keep rolling. All right. So after a few days later, Fletch travels to Provo, where he breaks into a realtor's office and discovers the deed lists the sale price as only three thousand dollars, not three million. He barely escapes from the office while being chased around by a guard dog. Meanwhile, LAPD Chief Jerry Carlin gets wind of Fletch's soon-to-be-published drug article. He sends two thuggish detectives to Fletch's apartment to arrest him after they plant heroin on him. The two take Fletch to meet with Carlin, who tells Fletch he is jeopardizing the lives of undercover cops he's planted on the beach to bust the drug trade. When Fletch insults Carlin, he takes Fletch to an empty jail cell and threatens to shoot him and put a switchblade in his dead hand to claim self-defense. Fletch tells Carlin he's going to work on another story about off-track betting in the Himalayas instead. <laughs> An amused Carlin then lets him go. Fletch finds out later Carlin had him arrested because of Fletch's boss, who wants Fletch to stop investigating what he considers a ludicrous story about drug-dealing cops. When Fletch, Fletch confronts his boss about the incident, Frank refuses to believe Fletch's story about Carlin's plan to kill him. 
Flit storms off, angry but more determined than ever to break the story. So, Des, did you recognize that one of the cops that arrests Fletch in his house is Uncle Phil from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air? Mm, yes, I, now that you say it. I didn't yes. put it together when I first <laughs> noticed it, but yes, I, I do notice now that it's him. Oh, God. All of these scenes are so great. When they bum rush him in his apartment, you got a gun creep? Shamu's got one. Borrow his. Borrow his. It's so good. <laughs> oh, what do we have here? Oh, uh, that's my dick. It's so good. <laughs> uh, when they get to fucking Chief Carlin's office, you know, who is this? Uh, Tommy Lasorda. I hate Tommy Lasorda. He punches it. And just so many, again, so many great lines. What's your name? Fletch. Full name. Fletch F. Fletch. What do you do, Fletch? I'm a shepherd. I like men. I like you. Why don't you guys go pump each other? It's just, it's just endless great shit. And then he gets them down into the cell. Swing low, sweet chair. You can't keep me here, chief. And you know, maybe I'm not planning on holding you. Maybe I'm planning on blowing your brains out. And I believe this guy, hundred percent. I have no <laughs> doubt that he would have shot and killed Fletch and put the dead knife. They handed his dead. The, the, what yeah, do you guys that, think? That, that, that. You guys mm-hmm. think you would have killed him? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Absolutely! Yeah, the entire the entire police department was corrupt. The chief yeah. was corrupt. The two detectives uh, he sent to get Fletch were corrupt. Even the desk sergeant's got an attitude, talking about, "Oh, you're gonna love the chief. He's a real happy guy." Yeah, I heard yeah. that about him after he came out of the closet. <laughs> I heard he really chilled out after he came out of the closet. You should take a picture of this guy's face while he still has one. All good stuff. So. Interesting. The um, so I like the the subplot that they put in that Alan Stanwyck is a bigamist and he has another wife in uh, Provo, Utah, Provo, Spain, or is it Provo, Utah? Provo, Utah. And uh, so what this does is it makes it believable because you got to be asking yourself why is he going to rip off the the chief? They've got this great thing going. He's super rich. This has nothing to do with money. Alan Stanwyck has more money than he could ever spend. This has to do with the fact that he wants to steal Gail Stanwyck's money and the chief stake money, and he wants to go to his high school sweetheart, who he loves. He married Gail Stanwyck because he's a con man. Uh, Alan Stanwyck is a con man. Yes. And that's why he married her. And this whole thing has been a plan since day one to get enough money for him and his wife to basically be together and and disappear. So I thought that was a clever subplot. I have to agree with that. Um, it's it's funny how the story starts out about um, Fletch doing a story about drugs at the beach. And it brings in the characters, the Chief and Gummy and Fat Sam. And then it switches to the subplot of Alan Stanwyck wants Fletch to kill him. What's What was clever was, as the movie progresses, you come to see that they're all full circle. You have no idea Alan Stanwyck has anything to do with the chief until Fletch follows them, which how he wasn't seen is beyond me. Um, but uh, he, he sees that Stanwyck is with the chief, and now he starts to realize, well, what the hell's going on? Uh, figures out the amount of time it takes him to fly his plane, where he's going with the fuel, and they just tied it all together right in a in a nice little bow. Yeah, uh, I think there had to be a better plan here, though. Um, I don't believe Stanwick is a killer, and I don't believe that Stanwick is capable of killing Fletch in cold blood in his office. I think that Stanwick would have been better hiring a second vagrant or junkie to kill Fletch. And uh You don't know that he didn't. So what? You don't know that he didn't. <laughs> well I do know what he didn't because he was fucking waiting there with his gun. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he's not gonna at gunpoint take him somewhere else and have somebody kill him. No. He was gonna okay. shoot him and kill him, so he says. But okay. I mean I just thought I just thought his character wasn't capable of that, but I mean it looks like he's going to do it. But now, what if, what if he hires somebody else to kill Fletch that night in the office? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Seems like he's taking a lot of chances here. 
Feels it's like you're going a little too deep for Fletch. Yeah. None of it's paying it's, I mean, off. It's Fletch. None of it's paying off. So, like I said in the beginning of the movie, he's he's uh, included Fletch into this deal. Fletch is friends with Gummy and Sam. Gummy and Sam push drugs for Chief Carlin and Stanwyck. This whole thing was bound to blow up. There's no way he was getting away with this. It was all a bad plan from the from the beginning. And, uh, and yeah, and it blows up in his face. <laughs> Disguised as a redneck. <laughs> when did you learn to read? Today, Junior. Hang Just on. being in let's proximity to you has made let's, me dumber. Let's, How about let's that? Let's go for an experiment. Let's go for an Your experiment. Your dumbness Where is rubbing off. Where are we? Um, let's see. Disguised as a redneck. Oh, here we are. Okay. I'm going to take over. Okay, go. You had oh, to do Jesus. that. Disguised as a redneck airplane mechanic, Fletch Very shows trouble. up at Stanwick's plane hangar and learns from two mechanics that Stanwick has been using a plane each weekend to go to Utah, but uses as much fuel as it takes to travel to South America. Back at the tennis club, Fletch meets Gail at her cabana. He treats her to an expensive lunch he charges to the credit card of one snooty, obnoxious club member, Ted Underhill. Fletch gives her a little information about the investigation, but has to flee when Mr. Underhill shows up at Gail's door demanding $400 that the lunch had cost. Pat, what do you think? Uh, this is probably one of the funniest scenes. As I love how angry Ted Underhill gets as he's trying to be very uh, he's trying to be calm and very businessman and I'd like to discuss this matter with you. And he just gets angrier and angrier the longer it takes for her to come to the door. That was probably my favorite part of the whole scene. Yeah, I I love the uh, I love the airplane hangar scene. So, again, he doesn't need to wear an outfit. Nobody there knows him. He could show up fucking as himself. But I mean, then we don't get these great outfits. But I was I was saying that to you, Ork, the other day about how. I just didn't get why he had to keep putting on all these goofy little outfits because nobody knows who he is. But um, <laughs> it, this whole plane scene is fucking so funny. You know, they're, they sniff that he is full of shit. And, you know, uh, you should see my shoes. Oh, they look at his shoes. They're clean. He goes <laughs> over to the plane. You know, hey, hey, Gord, you want to check out this uh, Spetzer valve? And he goes over and, you know, opens up the luggage rack. Don't tell me my business, boy. There's muck all over these windows. He goes over and touches the wing. I love this shape. (laughs) Fucking cracks me up. Maybe you guys need a refresher. And he puts his hand on the fucking hot exhaust. It's all so good. It's all so good. He does such a great job of of just improving his cons as he's going. Yeah. Um, And Underhill is out of control. He's fucking unhinged, okay? He's a fucking millionaire. It's 400 bucks. He is, like, going bananas on that door. Like, after I knocked, like, twice, and she was like, oh, I'm just getting out of the shower. <laughs> and, you know, just a minute. After, like, the third time, I'd just, just be like, listen. Wee-wee. Yeah, I'd just be like, listen, I'm just going to have them put this on your tab. Good enough? All right, have a nice day. He is fucking losing his He's going to kick the door down. Insane. Well, you know, the people who have the most money are the cheapest. Right, right. You know, you watched him earlier stiff the the waiter on a tip Mm -hmm. because he tried to take his plate before he ate the last crumb off it. Oh, you you absolutely hate Underhill. But he's looking for a reason not to tip that waiter. I think that's why he does it. Yeah, because he's cheap ass. Yeah, he's a fucking douche. My yes, car nobody likes Ted Underhill. Can I borrow your towel? Uh, my car just hit a water buffalo. You look about the same size as Alan from the waist up, I imagine. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I think I proved my point on the reading end of oh, this. Did you go you? ahead. And t- go, yeah, ahead you go ahead. Keep going. Let's, no, let's no, see how you no. fare through the rest of it. No, let's you go do ahead it. and take, take back. Take it back. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. You yeah. did such a good job. How could I ever take it back from you? Go ahead. You go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let somebody take the reins for Christ's sake and put this thing Fletch back on. spies on Stanwick making a suspicious briefcase exchange with Chief Carlin. Briefcase. But is, un- 
<laughs> but is unable to determine the nature of their relationship. He returns home to find two squad cars in his building's parking garage and flees, managing to avoid the capture after a harrowing guitar. Guitar? Oh, is it a guitar case? Is it a guitar case or is it a car chase? Oh, yeah, you proved your point, bucko. Flex steals an Alfa Romeo. <laughs> I'm a young car thief. He manages to stay ahead of them and is only able to shake them when he distracts them with all at a lodge club dinner. <laughs> all right, take control again. Okay, uh, my, pro- one, my, po- my point has been proven. Thank I you very much. I had one good oh, yeah. paragraph Absolutely. in me. I Absolutely. had one good paragraph in yeah, me. Yeah, that was it. You could only focus for that long. Okay, so um, I know it's not the focal point of the scene, but I'm taken aback by how much smoking is happening in the lodge dinner scene. Like oh, I watch God, it, and I'm yes. like, oh my God, there's so much smoke in there. Like, like we're so used to that not being what it's like now, but like back then, that's what it was like when you went to like an event it's like a, that. It's a sign of the times. Sign that looks times. like the cab of Pat's truck at lunch break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. I was stunned though, because I'm just not used to seeing that anymore. You see, like, a, and even in a movie, you see a, a scene of people sitting in a, you know, a, a dinner. There's not so much smoke; you can barely see through the lights. Yeah, yeah. you can pretty crazy. much take any movie from that era. Yeah, mid '80s, and it's a totally different culture when it comes to smoking. Totally yeah. oh, different. Totally, it's, it's really, and it's so prevalent. Just, yeah. just for for example, uh, and a great example, uh, Die Hard Two. He's in the airport and he's smoking in the airport. Oh that yeah, weird. heard it's of? It's so weird. Yeah. Oh, dude, Pat, they're they're all smoking on the airplane. Yeah, and yeah. I'll tell you, if you ever take a plane and you see an ashtray on the armrest, don't <laughs> get off the plane. Okay, yeah, it's really really old. Yeah, you're like on a DC ten, and you're on your way to uh, the face of a mountain. Oh my god! That's um, out of a destination. Yeah, yeah. I also have to give props to the young kid, the the car thief in the Alfa Romeo. Yeah, it was because it was a he was funny he was scene. giving some good face. He's doing the screaming and the yeah, it was pretty funny. It was a funny scene, and I love it. You know, he's he's giving the cops all the things, and when he goes into the fucking the uh, the function hall. Um, Lee the Dorf Dorfman. Hey, I couldn't, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. Thank you, Sammy. And, you know, he starts, you know, uh, his wife, you know, after two weeks of trembling hills and, you know, the herpes had healed and the nose looks great again. You'd never, these are all great scenes, great lines, all improv, I'm sure. Super funny. Pat, how did you like that lodge scene? It, uh, it was it was uh, pretty much the best improv you could come up with. Um, yeah. I love the way he goes in the back and he he grabs a box and he's now he's a delivery man. He wakes his way into the place and once he's in the kitchen, he grabs a, a waiter's jacket, and a waiter's tray, and he just starts yelling out things. Hey, I don't, I don't, I don't. As he's walking about, <laughs> like he belongs there. I'm like, oh my god, that is so, so funny. And he he's taking out. taking drinks off other people's tables and putting them on the table next to them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like yeah, they've no actually way. drank from it. Like they'll drink from the water. He takes it out of their hand and puts it in the table in front of somebody else. It's like, ew. It's so great. And then it they was get so out. Funny. Oh, see, can you see? Or whatever he starts. Uh, and everybody stands up and puts their hats over their fucking. It's so good. It was it was a perfect getaway plan because now they've got everybody in the hall blocking the cops and keeping and they're they're hugging him and they're Hug trying the to cop. shake their hands and the camera did a great job of showing how many angry cops there were it's as so they're good. trying to get through the crowd to get after Fletch. It's so a here's a question for plan. you guys: Is uh, you know Chevy Chase says that this is his favorite movie. Do you guys feel that this movie is peak Chevy Chase? This is Chevy at his very best for me. Yeah, there's no question. Okay, um, is it your favorite Chevy Chase? 
There's so much good Chevy Chase for me. Uh, Clark W. Griswold, I think, is my favorite Chevy Chase. First one, uh, Vacation, the original. I think that's my favorite Chevy Chase. Yeah, I'm thinking between Clark Griswold and then from Caddyshack. The guy from Caddyshack is a fantastic yeah. character. Yep, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ty, that's his name in, in Caddyshack, I believe. It, it's okay. That's He's just playing Chevy Chase there. I mean, he's just, I'm Chevy Chase. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think that he's doing much more than playing Chevy Chase in Fletch either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. Yeah, I, that's why. I, I, that's why I think that uh, I think that Clark W. Griswold is his best character of all times. It's it's you know it's developed so perfectly. I think it's so. that's his. I think that's his most memorable. Yeah, agreed. yeah. Um, when 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 somebody says Chevy Chase, the first name you're thinking of and the first character that's coming to your mind is Clark. Yeah, but so many good ones. I mean, he was great in Cops and Robertsons. Uh, he was really good in um, Spies Like Us. One of my favorites. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just he's great. He's fucking Chevy Chase. He's fucking and great. A, and a movie that you probably don't remember much. At least I don't. I should actually look for it. Modern Problems. Oh great, yeah, love it. Daphne Daphne Coleman. Uh, yeah, really funny. I don't know if I, I just, saw that one. He's a... Uh, oh, there's there's he, some... It's it's almost like a combination of um, Possession and um, Toxic Avenger. Yeah, he's oh, a uh, air traffic controller. Uh, gets stuck behind a toxic waste vehicle leaving work. <laughs> with, um, with, the, with the sunroof open. And the, uh, and the window, uh, window cranker broken and... And yeah, so he gets these uh he gets these powers where he can move things with his mind. Um Dabney Coleman, they go to a him and his girlfriend go to a beach house for a weekend with a bunch of people and just everything goes awry and it's a great movie. I, I really love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a, it's, it's pretty it's pretty zany is the yeah. right word, I think. Yeah. It's it's a campy movie. It's very obscure, but it's it's definitely really good Chevy Chase. I remember seeing it when I was a kid with the family. It goes yeah. back that far. Wow. Cool. Yeah. All right, so Fletch returns to Provo, and under the guise of an insurance investigator, Stanwick interviews Stanwick's parents. Fletch discovers Stanwick has been secretly married to another woman for eight years, having used Gail for her money. He returns to Beverly Hills and shares what he has found out with her, who's, you know, very upset about her husband's bigamy, because, of course, she would be. Um, I feel like we should pause here and talk about the family, because I think that they're kind of hilarious. It's like... This dude has all this money, and his parents are like living on a dirt farm. It's so oh, weird. Yeah. Well, yeah. So you get it. It's funny you bring that up because I thought to myself, <clears throat> "What? Stanwick got his money when he married Gail, right?" Yes. Yes. Okay. So how how the hell? I'm just trying to figure out how he swung this. He's married to Sally Ann Cavanaugh. Yes. And he's not rich. He yes. goes off to L.A. and marries. Um, okay, so Gail. he becomes he becomes a commercial pilot for her father's company. So, so that's where he makes his money. So he's a commercial pilot, and he works his way up through the company. Meets Stanwick's, uh, you know, her father, daughter, and ends up dating her and marrying her. And then, no longer is a commercial pilot, he now is like upper management for Boyd Aviation. Okay, well, so he's basically sending money back parents. to his wife. But, you know, yes. you would still think that he would send his parents a little bit of cash. Uh, they're simple people, and they look like they have everything they need. I'm not, I'm not, they don't look like they're struggling. And, and now that I think about it, they don't know anything about Gail. No, they no. don't. Or they don't know anything about the money. Right, right. Yeah, they just think he's, he's just, a commercial he's pilot. He's just a pilot. Correct. Interesting. He's fooling a lot of people, especially people very close to his his life. That would, you know, that would be very yeah. hard to pull off. But he's telling a lot of big lies in tight circles. I mean, this is not sustainable behavior. Yeah. No, we never see Sally Ann, right? Uh, just photographs. Right. Right. So we never actually see her. We don't know where she ended up. Right. Right. No. Interesting. Uh, except so, she was at an uh, at a uh, motel near the airport. Yeah, Correct. waiting for him. Correct. Um. Can you, is there anybody sitting next to me? You know, I've got all these all these plans, and uh, yes, Miss Sally Ann Kavanaugh, you you bought the ticket. Doesn't mean I want her sitting next to me. 
<laughs> oh shit! So good. Oh, goodness his, gracious! His improv. Uh, one of the best parts of this uh, things about this movie is the way he can play uh, right off the hip with whatever comes his way, whatever's thrown at him. He manages to deflect and turn around to his advantage through the entire movie, no matter what it is. Uh, conning his way through the uh, the airport hangar. Uh, the airplane hangar with the two uh, rednecks, um, just to uh, the doctor at the uh, at um, at the physical. Yeah, Doctor Jellyfinger. Doctor Jellyfinger. Yes, <laughs> it's everything. Everything that he wants to get done is accomplished through just total bullshit. So, do yeah. we think that Sally Ann is um, complicit in what no. he was doing? No, no, she's no? Cool. You think she, she had no, no idea. idea? No idea. You don't think she knew that he had married another woman? That that's where no. the money was coming from? Nope. Mm, I do was, not. That, that's do some not. tight lying with some people very close to you. Um, I mean, there is the fact that she is waiting at the airport uh, hotel. That's what I'm saying. Like, she knows but, that they're going to Brazil. He knows that they're leaving and going somewhere. Yeah, I think yeah, she's that a simpleton. Does, I don't remember that. I don't remember the explanation as to why she's meeting him at the airport. Because they're going to Brazil. They're leaving. Yeah, so. he never, I, I mean, she's a simpleton, high school sweetheart. She's from Provo, Utah. She yeah, may not yeah. be asking questions. Possibly. Yeah, that's true. Possibly. All right, so Fletch arrives at Stanwick's mansion on the night of the plotted murder, only to find Stanwick armed and ready to kill him instead. He reveals he's aware of Stanwick's real plan to fake his own death by killing Fletch, burning his body, and dressing like Fletch himself, which he is dressed like Fletch. So Stanwick would then escape to Brazil with his other wife, as well as Gail's $3 million. Stanwick was also using his private jet to smuggle cocaine from South America to supply Carlin, who unexpectedly shows up, and upon learning of Stanwick's intention to flee, with $800,000 of his drug money, kills Stanwick. Carlin then turns his gun on Fletch, but is knocked unconscious by Gale with a tennis racket. Cue Des. Sometime later, Carlin is indicted for Stanwick's murder due to Fletch's investigation. He begins gating Gale, and in the final scene, he takes her to Rio on vacation. Fletch jokes that he had placed the expenses for the vacation on the Underhill's credit account and then offers the audience the number. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I agree with you. I don't think that this girl who could barely hit a fucking ball a minute ago is going to knock this guy out. No. Um, but here's another problem. So he had $3 million. He doesn't need the 800,000 that the sheriff staked him. You're taking chances. I mean, it's the fucking chief of police of Los Angeles. It's like, you're not just going to disappear with a fucking million dollars of this guy's money. And that's it. Not going to happen. This guy has way too many means at his uh, disposal to find you. This guy is a killer. I do believe he could kill. And I believe that Stanwick could have gone to him and said, listen, buy me out. Take my half of the business. Uh, you know, I just want out. I'm leaving. I'm leaving my wife. I'm leaving the country. It's been great doing business with you, but we're going to part <laughs> ways. No way he's taking a chance double crossing the fucking chief of police. Am I right? Well, here's the thing. So he is the supplier because he's the one that's going down to South America and getting it. So right. the, the chief is not going to let him go. And he um, knows that the chief is not going to let him go because there's no business without him. Right. I don't get that. It all kind of is just doesn't make sense because I just don't know why Stanwick is wrapped up in this. He is married to like one of the richest women in LA who is like the, the um, heiress to like this giant commercial air fucking airplane company. company. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know why. Like, why is this? Why does Alan Stanwick have to be a drug dealer? He's, I think he's trying to make as big a hit as he can all at once and get out. He's like, he's like the CEO of this huge company, probably making, you know, five, $600,000 a year. His wife is, it's all coming to her. He lives in like a fucking $9 million palace. It's like, it just doesn't make sense. He doesn't need to be a drug pusher. Doesn't need to be a drug dealer. There's plenty of ways this guy can get his hand on money. doesn't but make here's sense. Here's the thing, waiting for the dad to kick the bucket so that she gets it, Means that Sally is out of the picture. Uh, to wait, to just wait till he makes a bunch of money working the job is not a quick hit. Right. 
but when you're a con man and you're telling all these these lies and the expiration date is running out on them so but you got how long you're going to be able to trick people but you have to remember this he's been married to gail for years he's been a ceo of this company for years so he's got his own money it's not like this guy's making like you know 35 grand a year <laughs> painting apartments like somebody we know like me. This guy is making big money. He's probably got at least a million dollars of his own money that he's made in a bank account. That's just his. Plus, he's got the three million dollars from the Provo fucking ranch that he ripped his wife off for. There's four million easy. They probably have a joint bank account that he can take money out without her even knowing. This guy could have left the country with five, six million dollars if he had never even met Chief Carlin. So I don't know why he's involving himself in this in this drug dealing. Yeah, I don't know. My only, my the only thing I can say is that I would think it was because he was trying to make as big a hit as he could at once. But yeah, I don't know. And and it is a movie, and they do need to have a (laughs) storyline. I know. These things do need to take place for this movie to actually be made. So you (laughs) have to keep that in mind as well. But and I mean, I know that these stories are based on books, so I wouldn't be surprised if there's a book about this actual, you know story and if you read it you probably get more insight into it right oh, yeah. I've, I've i've read many books that movies were then made out of especially uh clancy tom clancy novels right and right the the, the movie never captures the, yeah. the the real scene uh that the book does it just can't um, it's, it can't it can get close but it can never do the whole thing Right. Yeah. I mean, you can't, there's just so much information they can pack into a book and, you know, your mind is creating all these, you know, these movies from what you're reading on the pages and, you know, what they're trying to do in, you know, 90 minutes is just never gonna, it's never gonna accomplish what you can put into a novel. I think when they made the movie, they tried to go too far in a short amount of time. Possibly. Uh, it, It can be, I mean, like I said in the beginning, um, you, when when Stanwick uh, approaches Fletch, you know nothing about Chief Carlin and and Stanwick in business. Right. Right. So you're dealing with two different ends of the story that end up meeting in the middle, and I think that's the whole point of just a circular thought of everybody involved in the movie. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Stanwick's plan just seemed fucking paper thin. It was trash. (laughs) Fair enough. All right. So I I think we've done Fletch. I think so. So now Uh it is time to head to the recasting couch. Woo! Man. (laughs) I wonder why we have fucking, why we have 11 listeners. Dylan, go ahead. Recast this bitch. All right, so I'm going to recast the role of Fletch's boss. And I'm going to recast it with Harry Dean Stanton. Because I hmm. think that he would have fit right in there perfectly. I like that. Or Je- Des hates Harry Dean Stanton. How can you hate Harry Dean Stanton? He never you know who Harry him. Dean Stanton is. Yes, you do. He's in Aliens. He's in Pretty in Pink. He's in Red Dawn. He's Mr. Eckhart in Red Dawn. Oh. Um. Not, He's, not, how can you not know who he is? Not ringing a bell, dude. <laughs> a bell. dude. He's in Repo Man. He's in Escape from New York. He's in Private Benjamin. Nope. Like, how, no, honey, <laughs> just will you fucking just Google the man, you fucking dumbbell, please? Okay, okay. He's in Up in Smoke for crying out loud. What's wrong with you? Mm, still doesn't ring a bell. Oh, the guy with the mustache, the chief, in uh, in uh. Up in smoke? <laughs> Chief of police? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, awesome. move on. All right, Pat, what do you got? Jodon Baker with... Played opposite Eddie Murphy in 48 Hours. Nick Nolte. Nick okay. Nolte. That's a, that, I like I that. I can see Nick Nolte is as the chief. I, I like that. that. Okay, you ready for this? Because this is going to be an earth-shattering. This is oh God, amazing. Let's have it. Dude. This would be great. I want you to really think about the um, the delivery of this actor, the way he would deliver these lines in this improv and tell me this doesn't work perfectly. You remove Chevy Chase and you put in Eddie Murphy. Oh, absolutely. That's right? easy to see. I oh. can easily see that. It easily. It would be great. It would be great. Or, yeah. or how about this? 
Dan Aykroyd. I thought about Dan Aykroyd, but he's not good enough looking. I think. Well, <laughs> but but well, Come no, on. because because Fletch is a ladies' man. I mean, that's he's a ladies' man, and you know Eddie's in a ladies' man. And but you know what's funny is if you guys will um, uh, refer to Neighbors with Dan Aykroyd, where he plays Captain Vic. <laughs> he's not quite so dorky because they're trying to portray him as like, you know, the rock and roller and the ladies man. So I think back in the late seventies, Ackroyd probably could have pulled this off. He was tall. He was handsome. He was in good shape. He was thin. I think that would work, but I think Eddie Murphy is to play there. Okay. I can go with either one. All right. So well, that's you with Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. You've now got 48 hours. <laughs> 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 it is. It's oh, 48 man. hours. A great movie. Great movie. I love it. Combination of comedy and drama in 48 hours. Really, really good. Um, don't think thriller. that movie. Don't think that movie could be made today. I mean, it's like, oh, like there's, there's a lot of racial. That's oh, yeah. this is this is why we haven't done trading places yet. Oh. Yeah, I mean. Some Fantastic of these movies, movie, but yeah, very, very racially charged at this like, point. And and I, I love Forty Eight Hours. Seen it a million times. Love Training Places. Seen it a million times. But there are just so many scenes that I literally just cringe, and I wonder how they were greenlit. Like how I mean, and I've said this before. I've said this before on the podcast. Like with the Bad News Bears, couldn't make that movie today. No, couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. But that is what life was in the 70s. That's how people talked. That was that was what it was. So when you're watching a movie from the late mid-70s, you're really getting a glimpse into like real life. And, and like these movies have a feel, an organic feel that you're not gonna get today because what you're seeing on the screen today is what is allowed to be put there by uh heavily filtered. Yes, it's overly heavily filtered to where it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like you're watching real life. Like you watch Taxi Driver or you watch, you know, uh, Saturday Night Fever or The Bad News Bears or any of these. Little Darlings. Little Darlings or any of these. Oh, man, Little Darlings, right? Yeah. Any of these movies. And you're getting a glimpse into what life was truly like. And the dialogue and the exposition is true to life. And that's why I really like movies from those uh, from those eras. So, yeah. All right, let's uh, let's do our rewatch score on this. Dylan, what is your rewatch score for Fletch? I mean, are you gonna are you no. gonna divorce me? I'm not gonna attack. I'm not gonna attack. But I will. But I will require an explanation. I will require an explanation for our score. Explanation. <laughs> okay. You better so justify my, this, damn it. You yeah. justify your, your existence, maggot. Yes. Um, I'm going to give it a 3.55. And the reason why I'm doing that is it's a little bit better than average. I don't like this movie like you do. It's just not for me. Um, You know, it's it's not made for me. So, like, let's be fair. It's not a movie that's made for me. It's a lot better than average. Well, to you. (laughs) For you. For For, you. For you. Because it works for you because it speaks to you. But it doesn't speak to me on the same level it does you. It is so, better than average for you too. You just can't see it. Um, I no. have a quick question. Go I ahead. have a quick question. I Please. don't mean to stop the strain. Go. I'm at a scene where when Fletch went to uh, check oh, out Sally and Kavanaugh's house. We're mm-hmm. reviewing the movie again. Okay. I have a question. I, <laughs> I had this question and was just reminded of it. Okay. Why did he light a cigarette going into that house? The house hmm. that he was confronted by the caretaker with the shotgun. I think As he soon- figures that the smell of smoke will bring somebody. If, you know, like, if there's somebody in that house, they're going to smell that cigarette and come. I just I saw it was just very strange to see yeah, that. Yeah, because he doesn't smoke through way. the rest of the movie. No, no, he doesn't. So, I mean, and of course I smoke and I catch shit for it. So... I, I have to think to myself, as soon as he walks in the door, he lights a cigarette. I'm like, why the fuck is he doing that? Why are you looking for under the bed? This guy guy (laughs) couldn't have been more of a drone if he, I mean, he was a zombie. I love them. Who did they say he was? Did they say who he actually was? Was it her brother? Or just a caretaker? 
yeah, just a caretaker. Of yeah. the house, just watching the house. Uh, I'm, I hate to pull rank on you, and with the mattress police, there are no tags on these mattresses. They're looking for the bed. Oh, well, you know, uh, Fredo and his brother. He's like, it's, it's all great. It's all great. The movie right. is the movie is great with one-liners yeah, and is. quick uh, retorts to Fun anything. Too. Fun characters. And uh, we did not mention uh, Fletch's um, fucking hippie roller skating outfit, which was just amazing. Best <laughs> costume in the movie. Yes, agreed. In the movie. You couldn't, I mean, I remember the first time I saw that scene. I had absolutely no fucking idea it was Fletch until he started talking to Gummy. Because it looked nothing like Fletch. He looks like the boss at the newspaper office. Yes. Yes, without the glasses. Fun fact, that costume is based on Ram Dass. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Uh, Yeah, if if you're not familiar with Ram Dass, fucking wake up. Okay. Wow. Uh, Pat, what is your uh, rewatch score? I'm going to give this a 4.5. 4.5. Explain yourself. Where's the some... half a point? Where's the <laughs> half is... a point missing? There were is, is some scenes. Um, the lodge scene was good, but I think it was too long. Hmm. No, he went I, on, I and he's up on the mic, and he's going oh, on and so good. on and on oh, and on. If he Thank you, Sammy. Just... <laughs> You're not going to start for the singing artist. Dude, come on. It goes on and on. It's <laughs> fucking great. Okay. So 4.5 from Pat. And uh, yeah, so come on. This is going to be no surprise. But what's weird is this is going to be three in a row for me. It's a perfect movie. It's a five rewatch. It's a perfect movie. It's perfect. It's fucking Fletch. It's Fletch. That's all <laughs> I have to say. It's Fletch. So it's been Deadpool, Fast Times at Richmond High. And Fletch. So I'm now five, 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 no, three, five rewatch scores in Spin a row. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's a five. So Lynn, will you calculate those scores and tell us where this movie lands on the, hey, did you ever see that movie list? I mean, yes, I can and I will, but I also want to preface it by saying... I don't want to live with you for the rest of the night because you're going to have a fucking conniption fit over if this. If this fucking movie is below Black Christmas, I if this is below this. Black Christmas, this is awesome. It's not. Okay, it's, it's above Black Christmas. <laughs> All right, okay. But just then he's by good. A then he's bit. fine. He's fine now. He's fine. Now. Okay. as long as it's above Black Christmas. Give, okay, give me, so give me the news. Fletch is coming in at number fifteen with four point three five which is just under Constantine at 4.38, but above True Lies at 4.33, tied with the ref at 4.33. So it falls in that. that. I think that's good. I, I, I think live that's, with that. I'm good with that too. I mean, the ref was amazing. Constantine was amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, True Lies was amazing. But honestly, and this is better or worse than True Lies? Better by okay. a little bit. And that, and I would say that yeah. it's better yeah. by a little bit, and only because I think True Lies is a little long. I think mm-hmm. that movie just, yeah. much like the review we did of it, just, <laughs> a, just a little long. So, all right, I like yeah. that. I, yeah. And you know, it's in you, when you look at the movies above it: Constantine, Lethal Weapon, yeah. The Lost yep. Boys, Big Trouble, Little China, True Romance, The Boondock Saints. First yeah. Blood, The Wedding Singer, Central Intelligence, Sinister, Fast Times, Daddy's, like, going all the way up to number one. Like, these are all movies that are better than Fletch, frankly. Sinister's so, not, but a lot of the other ones you said are. Sinister is a very good movie. It's just a different movie. It's good in right. different ways, and it's very clever in its cinematography. We have to go through this every single time you fucking try to diss <laughs> Sinister. <laughs> I love Sinister. It's just not as good as Fletch. I know, but you still di- you're still dissing it Don't for no reason. Not as, sinister. It's not as good as Fletch. Um, it is. It's not. It's, okay. it's, it's the cinematography in Sinister and the the the, the storytelling is a thousand times better. You just poked a thousand <laughs> holes in Fletch into the storytelling. It's, There's it's no st- holes in Sinister. Okay, no, so no holes. much like with the uh, music podcast we did this week, we did uh, Kiss Rock and Roll um, over and Rock and Roll all over. You mean it's actually it's Rock and Roll over. No, it's is Rock it? and Roll over. There's no all. And I then got why fucking, did I put all in all the fucking promo I, shit? I got flam. I got <laughs> fucking 
like Ed hit me with a flamethrower because I'm like, you guys are all fucking idiots. You've been calling it rock and roll over. It's rock and roll all over. Can you guys tell me why you're all so dumb? And Ed picked up the album cover and he goes, because it's called rock and roll over, you fucking moron. You're oh on your saying you're the biggest Kiss fan to ever walk the planet and you don't even know the name <laughs> of the fucking record. Oh my so, God. Well, I guess I better fix that shit. Yeah. So I took a beat <laughs> for that. But uh, yeah, so like with Fletch, I told those guys, I said, this album is probably a 79, but I'm giving it a 90.1 because every Kiss album, vintage from the 70s before Unmasked, starts with a bass score of 90.1. I don't give a fuck what it sounds like. I don't even have to listen to the album. It starts at 91. So yeah, there it is. Okay. So if you uh, would like to listen to that podcast, please head over to Breaking Vinyl and check it out. It was a very good episode. Uh, So next week, we will be back, and we are going to be changing up the Mickey segment. Going forward, Mickey will be joined by her husband, Tony 2.0, and we are going to be doing couples date night at the movies. Yeah, well, we'll we doing- can. I don't, want to, I don't want to lock him in every single time if he's not ready to do, though. Oh, he's ready to do it. I already <laughs> signed, his, signed him up. Contract's been signed. Contract's been signed. Fair uh, enough. So, yeah, we're going to do this once a month. It's going to be... Uh, the two of us, you know, the two dysfunctional couples arguing and bickering and watching a movie together and disagreeing and awesome. the whole night. Yeah, the whole night. Yeah. So oh it'll be great God. to listen to. Uh, yeah, this was listening. actually Pat's idea. Pat Pat listened to uh, Tombstone no. and said, you know what? You need to bring fucking Tony on board with fucking Mickey as a, as right? a tandem fucking they, they play off of each other like you yes. two play yes. off of each other. And it yes. works. It so works. Put the All two right. couples together. Yeah. And then maybe we'll get lucky and the girls will gang up on the guys. We yeah. try. We try every time. But, oh, you know. God. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so that's Worthy it. Effort. That's it. We'll be back next week with Mickey and Tony 2.0, where we will be starting our October spooktacular month, where we will Woo-hoo. be doing only scary movies. So let me lay it out for you. Uh, next week is going to be Poltergeist with uh, Mickey and Tony. The following week will be Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. What we'll be doing with Tony. Original. <laughs> <laughs> Original recipe, Tony. Original recipe, Tony. Uh, the following week, we will be back again with Pat, the podcaster with a fully packed bong, where we will be discussing mommy. Mama. No, mama. Mama. Okay. Mama. Mama. <laughs> and then we will be wrapping up the month of October, again with Pat, where we will be doing the iconic movie, Ghostbusters. This one's a long time coming, so yeah, very excited. I'm looking forward for to this. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they hate when you do that. Okay. So uh, until <laughs> no next kiss. week. No kiss. No kiss. <laughs> when someone asks if you're a guard, you say yes. Holy shit. Oh, and, and, and there's... I don't know if you saw Afterlife. I know yes, Des and I, I did. Have. I loved it. Oh, loved that it. movie was such a th- such a throwback. When they when she asked Ray again if he was a god, and he hesitated, <laughs> and, and Winston's like Ray. Oh, so good, so, so good. good. So I actually yeah. want to watch that movie again because that movie was such a great. Great. That should have been the sequel to the original Ghostbusters. Yeah. It's, it should it's never the best. have been a Ghostbusters 2. This After is Life the best sequel. It's the best, yes. it's the best Ghostbusters absolutely. sequel. And I absolutely cried at the end when Egon showed up. Oh, I did too. the ghost of oh. Egon. It, I cried. Everything, oh. everything about that movie. The only thing I didn't like about that movie was podcast, because he was just weird. Yeah, I mean, but that's but that brought <laughs> I mean Okay. <laughs> <laughs> with All the right. microphone with a pistol grip oh <laughs> my god <laughs> alright so uh, until next no. week I just have one question for you hey did you ever see that movie see you next time